are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. It's been good to be out in the parking lot, but I think I'm ready to go back in the building over there. And uh, I had it wrote, wrote this down a minute ago. It's kind of hot. If Brother Padillo's around, could you check the thermostat? It's a little bit warm out here. Maybe you could turn it down. I don't know about this, but I think it might be a hot sermon tonight, but not in the way that maybe you're hoping. We'll see how it goes. Take your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And uh, it has been good at least to be back on the property together. And uh, I want to give you a thought that God laid on my heart. Uh, really... I guess it was last week, and I'd planned to preach this message another time, and then God led us a different direction the last time I preached. So I'm going to preach this message tonight, and uh, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll just stay there throughout the entire message. I want to begin reading in verse number 3 and read down through verse number 11. Now, I don't want to discourage you, but it's kind of hot outside, and so I have this little handkerchief that normally I'd use inside for sweat and things, and this is probably about a 20-minute handkerchief, you know? Yeah, is that who was that? Alvin was that Alvin, brother? Alvin. All right, but but I brought an hour-long handkerchief too, so I think I might use that one tonight, and uh, I might put this one away. We'll see how that goes. All right, First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Let's read verse number three, down through verse number eleven. The Bible says, "For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried." And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now I want you to notice, I'm not going to preach on this, but that phrase is so important. That's the gospel, but it says according to the scriptures. There's a lot of folks in our country and around the world that would say they believe the gospel. But the problem is they don't believe the gospel according to the scriptures. And it's not what you feel and it's not what I think, but what the Bible says that matters. And Paul gives us the definition of the gospel right here in these verses in 1 Corinthians. Verse number 5, and that he was seen of Cephas, you know, that's Peter, then the twelve. After that he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, and then of the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And by his grace which was bestowed upon me, was, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. For a little while this evening, I want to show you this phrase and preach from this phrase in verse number 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's very evident in our society right now around our world that it almost seems like it's fashionable or in vogue to question identity in a lot of different ways I did not grow up hearing the phrase gender identity but we hear that now and they would say there's some large number of different genders and people are questioning identity you see it in our country a lot of folks are questioning America and our traditional our heritage our identity you see it in our churches my age bracket especially thank you It's true. They're questioning our heritage. They're questioning our tradition, and they're battling over identity. 
For just a little while this evening, I want to ask the question and answer it here from this statement. Paul is telling us, I'm not questioning who I am. I know what I am, and I am what I am by the grace of God. He said, I'm confident in that. I'm settled in that. I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to be. I am what I am. For a little while this evening, I want to preach on this thought. I want to ask the question, who am I? Who am I? And we'll stay here in our text, and I'm going to answer it here from these verses of Scripture. But let's pray together and think on that thought. Who am I? Lord, I pray for your power to preach tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to stand and open your word. I pray that you would help me, Lord, simply to be hid behind the cross tonight and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I pray you'd help us to see it from the Bible exactly who we are because of the grace of God. Thank you for the privilege to be in church. I pray your hand would be upon everything that's said and done tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you a quick story and then I'll get to preaching. While walking through the forest one day, a farmer found a young eagle that had fallen out of its nest. He took it home and put it in his barnyard where it soon learned to eat and behave like the chickens. Since he'd given it chicken feed and trained it to be a chicken, the eagle never learned how to fly. One day, the farmer lifted the eagle up toward the sky and said, You belong to the sky, not to the earth. You're an eagle. Spread your wings and fly. The eagle began to tremble, and it cast itself back down into the barnyard and began to peck at chicken food. Another day came, and the farmer once again took that eagle. He went to the top of his house, and he lifted that eagle up and said, You're an eagle. You belong to the sky. Spread your wings and fly. The eagle began to tremble and leaped from the farmer's arms and went back into the barnyard and began to peck around at the chicken food, thinking that it was a chicken. A little while later, the farmer took the eagle up to a high mountain. He held that eagle up high above the earth, and that eagle began to look down, and then he looked up, and finally he realized who he was, and he spread his wings, and with a triumphant screech, he took off into the heavens and found out he was an eagle. Identity is a subject that seems to be troubling more people right now than ever before. We hear about identity crises in our culture. We see it in our national outlook, and it's very evident even in our churches. Many, many years ago, Moses asked the question, he said, Who am I? And that seems to be the battle of thought that's raging in the hearts and minds of many people in our generation. In fact, it seems to question traditional identity norms is as popular in our country as Betsy Ross and apple pie used to be. I heard a term, and I said it just a moment ago, in our culture, it's been coined in recent years, that term, gender identity or what they might call gender dysphoria. And what that means is somebody whose mental image of their gender does not match up with the scientific definition of their gender. And there's a crowd out there today who's pushing that. They're pushing the ignorance of science and the perversion of reality and promoting uh, this questioning over having confidence in who God made you to be. Even right now, there's bills in our legislature that if they would pass these bills, one of them would do away with gender uh, uh, identifying aisles in our big box stores where no longer you would have girls' clothing and boys' clothing or girls' toys and boys' clothes. It'd just be very generic. There's another bill they're trying to pass that would allow minors to get uh, hormone treatments at school without parental consent or parental knowledge. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to infiltrate everything from the job site to the schoolhouse to your house. 
It's a poisonous ideology, and it results in a crisis of identity. If they had their way, they'd have our boys playing with Barbie dolls and our girls playing with G.I. Joes. And the sad thing is, it's caused many innocent minds, vulnerable young people, to begin to wonder if maybe God made a mistake, and they're questioning their identity and asking the question, Who am I? Identity is the battleground. We see very similar things happening in our country. Burning flags, praising communist nations, applauding for and voting for loud and proud socialists. Public Muslim calls to prayer uh, in Minneapolis paid for by taxpayers. Governors calling churches unessential. All of those things point to the truth that America is having an identity crisis. I mean, old-fashioned patriotism is called xenophobic and traditional Americanism is called bigoted. Ask the question, why so many protests? Why such unrest? Why the political divide? Why this love affair all of a sudden with socialism? Here's why our country in a very real sense is crying out, who am I? Who are we? There's a crisis of identity. Identity is the battleground. We see the same thing happening in our churches. There's a similar war being fought in the minds of many Christians, and we'll call them faith leaders. They ask the question, who are we? And it's a struggle for many who fill our pulpits and many who sit in church pews every Sunday around the world. Ask the question, why is it so hard to remain steadfast? Why the allure with constant change? Why watering down the doctrine? Why forfeiting traditional biblical methodology? Why it's evidenced in their fawning over sacred leaders and their hunger to be approved by secular minds and their wanting to look scholarly in the eyes of the world is evidence in their love affair with men who have indistinguishable fluid positions and their vitriol for an old-fashioned man of God like ours that stands for the faith once delivered. I mean, you look on social media and it's a parade of novice minds trying to usurp themselves over seasoned hearts. They don't know what they are. They don't know who they are and they don't know where they're they're headed. They're as mixed up as a termite in a yo-yo or Joel Osteen in a Bible study. I mean, they have no idea. They have no clue what they are or the direction they're going. Ask the question. Dr. Heil said it's easy to love a liberal, and it's obvious that many Christians in our generation do. Ask yourself the question, why do some churches mirror the world? Why do so many preachers window shop liberal philosophy? Why is secularism more noticeable in some churches than the power of God? Why the departure from doctrine? Why the watering down of standards? Why the collapse of old-fashioned morality? Here's why there's a crisis of identity. They're not sure who they are. They don't know what they believe, and they can't decide what to do. And they're tempted and tried by the world on all sides, and they ask the question, who am I? And the battleground is the battleground of identity. There's a crisis of identity. We live in an hour where there's a lot of eagles pecking in the barnyard for chicken feed. They're cackling and never screech. They strut and never take flight. They're always up and down, on and off, in and out, spiritually schizophrenic, don't know what to do, don't know who they are. And the battleground, I'll say it again, is who am I? It's identity. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's also the longest chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. I like this because the text begins with the gospel and ends with resurrection. It begins with hope and ends with the fulfillment of that hope. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but I need to tell you something or this will make for short preaching. The Corinthian church was a very carnal church. In fact, Paul spends the better part of two letters putting out fires and problems problems in the church of Corinth. Now, there's two things that always go together, and here it is, carnality and problems. When you have problems, you can mark it down, there's carnality. And when you have carnality, you can bet that there's going to be problems somewhere behind. By the way, that's why you ought not get upset when the man of God rears back and just preaches every once in a while and tries to run sin out of town and puts his finger on where we're living. Why? Because he's trying to keep problems from rising in the local church. There's Siamese twins. When you have carnality, you have problems. They go together. It's like Oreos and milk. It's like Sunday afternoon and taking a nap, right? I mean, it's like a Chevrolet in a repair shop. Say amen right there. I probably shouldn't have said that. In this last chapter, Paul is addressing the doctrine of resurrection. Some in the Corinthian church were questioning that truth. So Paul takes over 50 verses to validate, explain, and apply the truth that Christ rose from the dead. And thank God you and I will one day have that promise that we shall rise as well. Now, before we move on, let me say, that's what separates Christianity from every other cult in the world. We don't serve a dead Jew in a borrowed tomb. We don't have a dead leader. We don't serve a dead founder. Our Savior died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead and he lives forevermore. Now here in verse 8 through 11, Paul is given a paraphrased personal testimony. He's laying out a case for the resurrection and begins to give us a little synopsis of his own life. Now when you read the sermons of Paul, the writings of Paul, you find often he'll refer to his own personal testimony. In verse 1 through 4, he lays out the facts. He said, now here's what the gospel is. The gospel is the death of Christ according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scripture, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day according to the scripture. And he lays it out very factual. But now Paul transitions from laying out the facts to referencing eyewitness accounts of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, that's what separates your Bible from every other religious book in the world. We have eyewitness accounts of God's actual dealing with man. The Book of Mormon does not have that. The Koran does not have that. But I'm glad this book right here is filled with actual people that got to see Jesus rise from the dead. In fact, you read the text and here's what Paul says. Can I paraphrase it? He says, I tell you how much I believe in the resurrection. Peter saw him rise from the dead. John saw him rise from the dead. Thomas saw him rise from the dead. In fact, another time over 500 fellas saw Jesus rise from the dead. But he said, I got something better than that. He said, I got to see him risen from the dead. There's power in that personal testimony. Now let me call time out and say this. I'm glad I got a personal testimony, aren't you? I'm glad I don't have to borrow a testimony from a book. I didn't have to get a testimony from another preacher. I didn't have to get a testimony secondhand or passed down or hand me down or from my mother. I'm glad I've got a personal story of a day when grace and God invaded my life and changed me forever. You say, I'd like to be a soul winner, but I don't know much scripture. You don't have to know a lot of scripture. If you can just tell somebody what Jesus did for you, that's enough to let Jesus
Jesus, do it for them. Thank God for a personal testimony. Now, here in verse number 10, Paul makes a statement that I want us to consider tonight. I was reading this chapter, and I got snagged, if you will, on verse number 10. I got hung up on it. I read this phrase, and it showed me Paul was settled on his identity. See what it says in verse 10? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Am. Paul was not a might be. Paul was not a maybe so. Paul was not I could be. He said, I know what I am. I am what I am by the grace of God. He would not have fit in well with this current culture of questioning everything. He wouldn't have fit in with this new crowd of preachers that wants to wonder and debate every day about position. He wouldn't have fit in with this crowd that wants to lay out on the psychiatrist's couch or go to the counseling session every day of the week. Paul wouldn't look in the mirror saying, who is Paul anyway? way. He wasn't chasing his theological tail. He wasn't wetting his finger to the wind of popularity. Paul said, I'm settled on what I am and I am what I am because of the grace of God. Paul was not in the barnyard pecking around at chicken feed thinking he was one thing when really he was another. He knew what he was. Now let me apply this. Never have I seen the trouble that I see today among people when it comes to being comfortable and confident with who they are and who they're supposed to be. I, I, I think there's a correlation between this unsettled stand and a lack of personal conviction. Because personal conviction anchors somebody. You won't be blown about with every wind of doctrine when you have more than opinions and more than preferences and you actually have Bible conviction. I had an older preacher tell me when I first started preaching, he said, learn how to be comfortable in your own skin. And can I say, I want to learn from every older man of God, but I don't want to be a cheap imitation of another man of God. I want to be what I'm supposed to be by the grace of God. And I see it all over the place today. I just don't know what I am. I just don't know what I believe. I'm just not too sure about that. And we see it everywhere from culture to country to church. I never would have believed there'd been a day when I was growing up that we'd have a debate over men going into the ladies' restrooms or ladies going into the men's restrooms and people would actually advocate for that. Somebody said, somebody said, at your church, are you going to have a special restroom for those folks that don't know what they are? I said, sure, we'll call it the handicap restroom. <laughs> because that's what they would need. If any... If anybody tried to go in a restroom after one of the young ladies at our church or a young man, I, I tell you, they'd have to get taken out probably in a wheelchair. We're not going to do that around here. What's going on in our country? Can you believe it? I mean, the applauding of the murdering of children like the song sang about in abortion. They call it a choice. It's not choice. That is slaughter of a soul that was created in the image of God. That's our nation. I never would have thought. I grew up in school hearing about Russia and China. And if you're from there, thank God for you. And I'm glad you're here now. But can I say I heard about all the evils of those communist nations and those wicked dictators and fascism. I never thought that in my lifetime we'd see folks trample on that flag and praise other places like uh, like Venezuela and China and our, our own politicians instead of defending our constitution would try to dilute our constitution I mean there is an identity crisis in our country in our culture you're seeing it in our churches you see it I never would have thought I got saved when I was 21 years old I know what it is to be inside and I don't talk about it inside of a bar room I've been in I know what it is to go to a movie theater I've been there I never thought 
up. I'd get saved out of that and then go to a church where it looks just like the bar did or look just like the movie house did. I didn't think I'd get saved and then listen to music like I listened to before I got saved. It's a crazy day. Somebody will buy out a warehouse building, don't even have enough character to put a drop ceiling in it. Just spray paint the roof black, the walls black, get a smoke machine, put up a plexiglass podium. I mean, put on a pair of skinny jeans, sit back in a lounge chair and share for the... Hey, there's a culture in a crisis in our culture, in our country, and in our churches. It's debate on all sides. And I'm here today to tell you, I'm not concerned with who I am. I know who I am. I'm settled on who I am. And I know I am what I am by the grace of God. So there's several things I could say. Who are you? Well, if it was just me talking, I could say, I am a Christian. I could say I'm an American. I could say I'm an independent, fundamental, premillennial, temperamental, King James only Baptist preacher. I guess I can say I'm a Californian, though I don't fit in well with the populace. I'm glad I fit in here. I could probably say, and it'd be perfectly true, that I'm the most handsome, humble man you'll ever meet. Uh, but anyway, no honks. Thanks, Des. But anyway. But I wonder if we had Paul come out tonight. And Paul was to stand here and we say, Paul, who are you anyway? What he would say. So let me take a couple verses of scripture and break it down and then we'll go to the house. Let me give you three things. Who am I? All right, here it is. Number one, I'll tell you who I am. By the way, this is who you are. I'm a sinner. That's what I am. Look at verse eight. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of, watch what it says, do time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. If you were to say, Paul, testify. Who are you? i tell you what Paul would say. Number one, Paul would say, I know what I am. I'm a sinner. Now listen, I know there's no label more despised, more rejected, and more refused than that label uh, of, of a sinner from the drunkard to the dignitary. Nobody wants to own up to it. But I'm here to tell you tonight that we're all sinners in the eyes of a thrice holy God. You say, but I've been saved. Yeah, you were saved, but your flesh is still just as wicked, still just as carnal, still just as weak as it ever was. And I know, and listen, we, we, we look good on the outside, but can I say, my flesh is still rotten. My flesh is still wicked. My flesh is still corrupt. And every day I battle the body of this death until the death of my body. And Paul said, he said, I wish I could die daily. And can I say, I know what I am. I'm a sinner. Paul's looking back in the past in verse number eight and nine. He's remembering what he was prior to salvation. You remember where you were when Jesus found you? Paul's looking back and he remembered what he was. Paul was a rude dude in a crude mood. A hateful man. A selfish man. A murderer. A persecutor. It probably kept him up at night after salvation thinking about what he used to be. And Paul makes the statement I know what I am. I was a persecutor of the church. In 1 Timothy 1.15 he said this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. He said that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. But then he owned it and said, of who I am chief. He said, I'm the least apostle, but I tell you, I'm the chief when it comes to sinners. I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You say, what is sin? It's trespassing. It's transgressing. It's rebellion. It's corruption. It's missing the mark. It's separation from God. It's perversion, delusion, darkness, emptiness at the crime scene of every family problem, at the crime scene of every church problem, at the crime scene of every tragedy in life. You'll find the fingerprint of sin right there. 
You say, I just don't agree with that, Brother Cooper. I don't think I'm a sinner. You just proved that you are because you lied. I'm talking about from the sweetest old lady to the cutest little baby. We're all sinners in the eyes of God. Why, why church splits? Because of sin. Why gossip? Sin. Why the contention? Sin. You say, but we're saved. Yeah, but we're sinners saved by grace. Why the bitterness? Sin. Why the jealousy? Sin. Why say things that hurt people? Sin. Why all this mess that we're in? I'll tell you why. Because of sin. And I know that's not popular and they want to veneer over that word, but can I say, at the end of the day, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd all be in hell right now. I'll tell you what I am. I'm a sinner. That's why I need to use an altar. It doesn't bother me when everybody floods the altar. It bothers me when folks never go to one. That's why I need to keep short accounts with God. That's why I need to keep my sin confessed. That's why I need to live in my Bible and stay up on my prayer and be yielded to the Holy Spirit of God because I'm a wicked sinner. I know I'm saved, but can I say my flesh is weak and I'm a sinner. I read the illustration about a father who was doing a Bible study with his little kids and he asked him, he said, do you know what sin is? And they just kind of stared at him blankly, so he defined it and he said, sin is when you do something wrong. And one of the little kids' eyes got big as paper plates and he said, you must know, now. you know what sin is now, right? And the kid said, no, I, 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 all I know is this, he's been doing a lot of it. And the sibling looked at the other and said, hey, you take care of your sin and I'll take care of mine. And can I say at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. You've got to take care of your sin. And I've got to take care of mine. If you're here tonight and you're not born again, you need to know that your sin will send you to hell for eternity. But if you're here and you're saved, you know your sin will sever your fellowship with God. So number one, who am I? I'll tell you who I am. I'm a sinner. But thank God, number two, I'll tell you who I am. I'm a saint. Look at verse number 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. You say, who am I? I'm a sinner. But number two, thank God for this. I'm a saint. Now, I wish that we could say we were saints dispositionally, but that's not always true. But once you got saved, you became a saint positionally. Paul was not born saved. Paul wasn't born sanctified or spirit-filled or spit-shined or anything like that. Paul was born lost. He was headed to hell. I said a minute ago he was a hateful man, a cruel man, a selfish man, but he got saved on the road to Damascus. And you read the story in Acts chapter 9. Paul goes down a persecutor and rises up a preacher. He falls down hateful and gets up loving. He goes down persecuting the church, rises again, wanting to preach and plant more churches. You say, what happened to Saul? He must have joined rehab. That's not what happened. You say, what happened? He must have turned over a new leaf. That is not what happened. You say, what happened? He must have put on a tie he got from Walmart. That's not what happened. I tell you what happened in Saul's life. He had a head-on collision with the grace of God, and it changed his life forever. All of a sudden, he went from death to life, and darkness to light, and the team of the devil to being on the team of God, heaven bound with the hammer down, he became a saint. I looked up that definition of saint. The dictionary says any certain person of exceptional holiness of life formally recognized as such by the Christian church, especially by canonization. Just this past Monday, it was Pope John Paul II's birthday. And they said Saint John Paul. I don't know if he was or not. But I'm afraid the definition in the dictionary got it wrong. I'm sorry to report to them it's not the church 
that makes a man or woman a saint. It is the cross and the blood of Christ shed thereon that makes a man or woman a saint. It's not a card that makes a saint. It's not a candle that makes a saint. It's not a statue that makes a saint. It is the shed blood of Jesus that washes a sinner white as snow and makes a sinner a saint. In 1 Corinthians 1, 2, the Bible said, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. You say, how do I go from an ain't to a saint? It's not wafers. It's not water baptism. It's not prayer beads. It's not joining the church. It's not helping old ladies across the street. It's not buying Girl Scout cookies. It's not keeping the Ten Commandments. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Thank God. I tell you what makes an ain't a saint. It's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. I don't make any bones about it. I know we look good in our church clothes, but listen, I'd be in the same hell as the drunkard, the same hell as the murderer, the same hell as the rapist or the terrorist, the same hell made for the devil. But thank God I'm heading to heaven one day, not because I'm a Baptist, not because I'm an American, not because I'm in church, but I went to Calvary one day. I got born again one day. I got saved by the grace of God one day. And now I'm not the man that I used to be. You say, you don't know what I was. I don't want to know what you were. I don't care what you were. I'm more interested in what you are. The world is big on what you were. That's a drunk, ex-drunk, ex-drug addict, ex-this, that, or the other. But I'm glad when you come to church, once you get saved, it's not ex-anything. It's brother so-and-so. It's sister so-and-so. I read the illustration George Whitfield was preaching. Benjamin Franklin said you can measure George Whitfield's volume by the acre when he preached outside with no microphone. He was preaching inside a church building and there were two uh, ladies of ill repute, women of the night, sitting on the front stoop of that church. And on the inside, Whitfield was thundering out, God takes the devil's castaways. Those two ladies looked at each other after a night of wickedness and sin. And again, the preacher cried, God takes the devil's castaways. Again, the preacher cried, God takes the devil's castaways. One looked at the other and said, surely that can't be us. He doesn't know who we are or what we've done or where we're from. And again, he cried, God takes the devil's castaways. And all of a sudden, tears began to run from their eyes. And they thought, could God take us? Would he have us? And they swung the back doors of the church house open wide and ran to an old-fashioned altar and got saved from hearing God takes the devil's castaways. Well tonight you're listening to a devil's castaway preach to you and I'm looking at a lot of folks that the world had by the throat and the devil had by the tail but thank God all of heaven is ours. Why? Because I went from being an ink to a saint. Yes I'm a sinner but I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. You say what am I? I'm a possession of God. I'm a child of God. I'm chosen of God. I'm accepted in Christ. I'm beloved of God. A joint heir with Jesus, his temple, a soldier of the cross. I'm a witness and a workman and his workmanship. I'm complete in him. I'm washed. I'm sanctified. I'm justified. I'm set apart for his glory. I've been shielded by his power. I'm kept from falling. I'm no longer condemned. I'm strengthened by the power of his might. I already see it in heavenly places. You say, who am I? I'm called. 
with a holy calling. I'm greatly loved. I'm protected from the devil. I'm well armored. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. I'm born again. I'm a living stone. I'm a spiritual house. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a peculiar people. I'm a chosen nation. I'm a stranger in this world and a citizen of heaven. I'm saved. I'm sealed. I'm secured. I'm supplied. I'm sustained. And I'm sent for the promised land. Thank God I'm adopted. I got grafted in. I'm glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been cleansed. I've been set free. I'm no longer in bondage. I'm his. I traded out. I traded out my old house for a mansion. I traded out the cross for a crown. I traded out the grave for resurrection. Why? Because I've been to Calvary. You say, who am I? I'm wondering who I am. Well, let the Bible answer the question. Here's what you are. You're a sinner. Hey, but don't get this, don't get discouraged. Read on. Thank God you're a saint saved by the grace of God. Then last of all, number three, what are you? Number one, you're a sinner. That's what I am. I'm a saint. And then I'm going to quit preaching so hard and just talk to you for a minute. Here's what I am. I'm a servant. Look at verse 10 and then verse 11. The Bible says, second half of verse 10. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach. And so ye believed. Paul uses a phrase that shows us the depth of his devotion to Christ and the depth of his devotion to those he was called to minister to. Paul often loved and wasn't loved back. He often served and never was served. He gave and didn't always have it given unto him. I think if Paul could come tonight, he would cast off the title of famous preacher. I think he would eschew the title of Dr. Paul. I don't think he would want well-known Christian soldier. I think if you were to say, Paul, who are you? You'd say, I'll tell you what I am. I'm sorry to say it, but I'm a sinner. But let me quickly rejoice and say this. Because of His grace, I'm a saint. But I'll tell you what I am. I'm a servant. The message the pastor preached this morning just dovetails with this last point. Paul said in Titus 1.1, Paul is servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, he said, Paul is servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. It's always servant first, then apostle. Why is that? Because Paul was not in church industry. He was in church ministry. He wasn't out to get. He was out to give. That's why he toiled. That's why he labored. That's why he worked. That's why he cried and cared and wrote and preached and traveled and endured. You say, who are you? I'm a servant. You know, you read your Bible. Peter's called a servant. James is called a servant. Moses is called a servant. Joshua, called a servant. But better than all that, Jesus humbled himself and gave us the greatest example and became a servant. You say, what's a servant? A servant is selfless. A servant is devoted. A servant is not seeking applause. A servant does not need appreciation. A servant is humble, fervent, and faithful. I said this this morning, but I want to say it again. Great churches aren't built by great Christians. Great churches are built by faithful Christians with a heart to serve God. And as we look around the night at the very obvious hand of God and the blessing of God and the favor of God on this place, thank God we don't have to look around and just elevate one, and the preacher wouldn't want you to elevate just one. But there's a mass of servants. Yep. 
some known, some unknown, some here and some gone to heaven that made this place, by the grace of God, what it is today. Have you ever sat in a padded pew? Then you better think a servant that tithed. You enjoy a well-lit auditorium, the lights paid? Think a servant. Did you ever get picked up on an old white church bus? You ought to think a servant. Did you ever get fed from a Sunday school lesson? Think a servant. Did you ever have your life changed by a Bible message? Then think a servant. You ever had somebody encourage you with a letter? Then think a servant. You ever uh, enjoyed the choir singing? Think, think a servant. What about the offertory? You enjoy that music? You better think a servant. Isn't it nice when you get greeted with a handshake at the front of the building? You better think a servant. Did you ever have your car directed on property and then directed off without getting in a mass pile up? Then you ought to think a bunch of servants. I tell you what makes a place great. A bunch of folks who understand that they're not. But that He is. And we can't all do everything, but we can all do something. And can I say there's a place for you to enlist and serve at North Valley Baptist Church. And let me just say this in case they might watch it. That's why it's so ludicrous and ought to be criminal to shut down a church. Because what place does more for a community than a local church like this? Over one million young people from this area brought to church on buses. And they want to shut that down? How many folks are marriage about to bust up? Hear a message, gets mended, and they want to shut that place down? How many young people on the brink of going out to the far country, but the Holy Ghost of God brings conviction and they get right at an altar, and they want to shut that place down? How many drunkards and dope addicts that think nobody loves them and nobody cares, but they find a place where they're welcomed, and the county wants to shut that place down? Thank God for a place filled with servants. You ever heard of D.L. Moody? D.L. Moody preached. Million souls or more got saved through his ministry. Moody was having a conference and invited many pastors from Europe to attend their Northfield. And as he walked down the hallway, he noticed that the shoes of those guest preachers were just filthy from travel. He got some of his college boys together and said, Sons, why don't you shine the shoes for these visiting preachers? He walked back through a couple hours later and the shoes were just as filthy as they'd been. And D.O. Moody, the great preacher, gathered the shoes of those guest preachers that nobody would know their name. He took them to his room and began to shine the shoes of those guest preachers. Nobody would have ever known about it, but for the fact that one of the young men went into D.L. Moody's room and saw the great preacher shining those shoes. R.A. Torrey was D.L. Moody's understudy. R.A. Torrey took over that ministry. R.A. Torrey was sitting about ready to preach and he asked a young man to shine his shoes for him. And the young man said, I'm not going to shine your shoes. Another young man volunteered by the name of James Gray. James Gray humbled himself and he shined the shoes of R.A. Torrey. If you were to go to Northfield today, you'd see an auditorium. It's called the Torrey Gray Auditorium. And James Gray became the next pastor and leader of that ministry. Can I say the quickest way up with God is to humble yourself and serve. When we come back, when we come back, we're not coming back just to get, though we will, we all get from this ministry. But let us come back to give. 
If you've been thinking about getting in the bus ministry, it's probably time to go ahead and do it. If you've been thinking about getting in the choir, it's probably time to go ahead and do it. If you've been thinking about going soul winning on Tuesday night or Saturday morning, then it's probably time to just go ahead and do it. Jesus is coming soon. And I tell you, it'll be worth it all when you see his face and hear, well done, how good and faithful servant. You say, who am I? I, I don't know. Maybe you don't have any problem with it, but you can see it in our world today. They do. Our countries at a crisis of identity, our culture, many churches are. But I tell you who we are. We're sinners. We know that. But thank God we're saints because we've been saved. And here's what we ought to be. We ought to be serving other people. I'm going to pray. I'll turn it over to Pastor here in just a moment. We'll have a time of invitation. Why don't you pray there in your car, Brother Waterhouse, whenever you're ready. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this invitation tonight. Thank you for the Bible, the truths that are in it. I pray that you'd please speak to the hearts of our church, our people, my heart. I remember where I was when you saved me, and I know what I am. Thank God for heaven. And I pray to give us that attitude of service, serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Waterhouse, go ahead and play. As you're there in your car, why don't you bow your head? Spend some time alone with God in prayer right now. Why don't you just talk to the Lord? Maybe think about a time or a place that you get plugged in and serve as we get back to church. Remember what you were when you got saved, where you were? You ought to thank God for that, for salvation. Who am I? What are we? Just a bunch of sinners saved by grace here. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.